Welcome to Quantum Magazine Science Podcast. Come for the science, stay for the stories. For news, interviews, videos, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org. This week, we'll hear about a theory of quantum mechanics that's making a comeback. Quantum mechanics has many counterintuitive features, but perhaps the most challenging to our understanding is that particles don't have locations until they're observed. This is exactly what the standard view of quantum mechanics, called the Copenhagen interpretation, asks us to believe. Instead of the clear-cut positions and movements of Newtonian physics, we have a cloud of probabilities described by a mathematical structure called a wave function. The wave function, meanwhile, evolves over time. Its evolution is governed by precise rules codified in something called the Schrodinger equation. The mathematics are clear enough, the actual whereabouts of particles less so. Until a particle is observed which causes the wave function to collapse, we can't say anything about its location. Albert Einstein objected to this idea. His biographer, Abraham Pice, wrote that they often discussed his ideas about objective reality. During one walk, Einstein suddenly stopped, turned to Pice, and asked if he really believed that the moon only exists when you look at it. But in another view, one that's been around for almost a century, particles really do have precise positions at all times. This alternative view, known as pilot wave theory or Bohmian mechanics, never became as popular as the Copenhagen view. This was in part because Bohmian mechanics implies that the world must be strange in other ways. A 1992 paper claimed to find certain bizarre consequences of Bohmian mechanics, essentially killing the theory. The authors concluded that a particle following the laws of Bohmian mechanics would take a trajectory so unphysical, even by the warped standards of quantum theory, that they described it as surreal. Now, a group of scientists have carried out an experiment in a Toronto laboratory that tests this idea. If their results hold up to scrutiny, the Bohmian view of quantum mechanics, less fuzzy but in some ways more strange than the traditional view, might make a comeback. Louis de Broglie devised Bohmian mechanics in 1927, and David Bohm did as well in 1952. As with the Copenhagen view, there's a wave function governed by the Schrodinger equation. Every particle also has an actual, definite location, even when it's not being observed. Changes in the positions of the particles are given by another equation, known as the pilot wave equation. The theory is fully deterministic. If you know the initial state of a system, and you've got the wave function, you can calculate where each particle will end up. That may sound like a throwback to classical mechanics, but there's a crucial difference. Classical mechanics is purely local. Stuff can affect other stuff only if it's next to it. Quantum mechanics, in contrast, is inherently non-local. The best-known example of a non-local effect is when a pair of particles are connected in such a way that a measurement of one particle appears to affect the state of another distant particle. The idea was ridiculed by Einstein as spooky action at a distance, but hundreds of experiments beginning in the 1980s have confirmed that this spooky action is a very real part of our universe. In the Bohmian view, non-locality is even more obvious. The trajectory of any one particle depends on what all the other particles described by the same wave function are doing. 
And critically, the wave function has no geographic limits. It might, in principle, span the entire universe, which means that the universe is weirdly interdependent, even across vast stretches of space. Sheldon Goldstein, a mathematician and physicist at Rutgers University, wrote that the wave function combines distant particles into a single, irreducible reality. The differences between Bohm and Copenhagen become clear when we look at the classic double-slit experiment. In this experiment, particles, we'll say electrons, pass through a pair of narrow slits, eventually reaching a screen where each particle can be recorded. When the experiment is carried out, the electrons behave like waves, creating a particular pattern called an interference pattern on the screen. This pattern gradually emerges even if the electrons are sent one at a time, suggesting that each electron passes through both slits simultaneously. Those who embrace the Copenhagen view have come to live with this state of affairs. After all, it's meaningless to speak of a particle's position until we measure it. Some physicists are drawn instead to the many-worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. In this view, observers in some universes see the electron go through the left slit, while those in other universes see it go through the right slit. By comparison, the Bohmian view sounds rather tame. The electrons act like actual particles. At any moment, their velocities are fully determined by the pilot wave, which in turn depends on the wave function. In this view, each electron is like a surfer. It occupies a particular place at every specific moment in time, yet its motion is dictated by the motion of a spread-out wave. Although each electron takes a fully determined path through just one slit, the pilot wave passes through both slits. The end result exactly matches the pattern one sees in standard quantum mechanics. For some theorists, the Bohmian interpretation holds an irresistible appeal. Goldstein said, all you have to do to make sense of quantum mechanics is to say to yourself, when we talk about particles, we really mean particles. Then all the problems go away. He said things have positions. They are somewhere. If you take that idea seriously, you're led almost immediately to Bohm. He said it's a far simpler version of quantum mechanics than what you find in the textbooks. Howard Wiseman, a physicist at Griffith University in Brisbane, Australia, said the Bohmian view gives a pretty straightforward account of how the world is. He said, you don't have to tie yourself into any sort of philosophical knots to say how things really are. Not everyone feels that way. Over the years, the Bohm view has struggled to gain acceptance, trailing behind Copenhagen and these days behind many worlds as well. A significant blow came with the paper known as ESSW, an acronym built from the names of its four authors. The ESSW paper claimed that particles can't follow simple Bohmian trajectories in the double-slit experiment. Suppose that someone placed a detector next to each slit recording which particle passed through which slit, argued ESSW. ESSW showed that a photon could pass through the left slit and yet, in the Bohmian view, still end up being recorded as having passed through the right slit. This seemed impossible. ESSW said the photons were following surreal trajectories. Ephraim Steinberg, a physicist at the University of Toronto, said ESSW was a striking philosophical objection to the Bohmian view. For a lot of people like myself at the time, I thought, oh, that, that's really an upsetting feature of Bohmian mechanics. And uh, it, uh, it damaged my, my love for Bohmian mechanics, shall we say.
But Steinberg has found a way to rekindle that love. In a paper published in Science Advances, Steinberg and his team describe what happened when they actually performed the ESSW experiment. They found that the photon trajectories aren't surrealistic at all. The paths may seem surrealistic, but only if one fails to take into account the non-locality inherent in Bohm's theory. The experiment was similar to the standard two-slit experiment. They used photons rather than electrons, and instead of sending those photons through a pair of slits, they passed through a beam splitter, a device that directs a photon along one of two paths, depending on the photon's polarization. The photons eventually reach a single photon camera that records their final position. The question of which of two slits did the particle pass through becomes which of two paths did the photon take? The researchers use pairs of entangled photons rather than individual photons. As a result, they could interrogate one photon to gain information about the other. When the first photon passes through the beam splitter, the second photon knows which path the first one took. The team could then use information from the second photon to track the first photon's path. Each indirect measurement yields only an approximate value, but the scientists could average a lot of measurements to reconstruct the path of the first photon. The team found that the photon paths appear to be surreal, just as ESSW predicted. A photon would sometimes strike one side of the screen, even though the polarization of the entangled partner said that the photon took the other route. But can the information from the second photon be trusted? Steinberg found that the answer to the question, which path did the first photon take, depends on when it is asked. In the moments immediately after the first photon passes through the beam splitter, the second photon is very strongly correlated with the first photon's path. Here's Steinberg again. As one particle goes through the slit, the probe has a perfectly accurate memory of which slit it went through. But as the particle continues to evolve along its trajectory, this non-local influence means that the probe state begins to change. The farther the first photon travels, the less reliable the second photon's report becomes. The reason is non-locality. Because the two photons are entangled, the path that the first photon takes will affect the polarization of the second photon. By the time the first photon reaches the screen, the second photon's polarization is equally likely to be oriented one way as the other. Thus, the second photon has no opinion, so to speak, as to whether the first photon took the first route or the second. The problem isn't that Bohm trajectories are surreal, said Steinberg. The problem is that the second photon says the Bohm trajectories are surreal, and thanks to non-locality, its support is not to be trusted. There's no real contradiction in there, Steinberg said. You just have to always bear in mind the non-locality, or you miss something very important. Some physicists have embraced the Bohmian view all along and aren't particularly surprised by what Steinberg and his team found. There have been many attacks on the Bohmian view over the years. Basil Hiley, a physicist at Birkbeck University of London, said they all fizzled out because they had misunderstood what the Bohm approach was actually claiming. Owen Maroney, a physicist at the University of Oxford who was a student of Hiley's, described ESSW as a terrible argument that didn't present a novel challenge to Bohmian mechanics. Not surprisingly, Maroney is excited by Steinberg's experimental results, which seem to support the view he's held all along. He said it's a very interesting experiment that gives a reason for taking the Bohm view seriously. 
On the other side of the divide, Berthold Georg Englert, one of the authors of ESSW, still describes their paper as a fatal blow to the Bohmian view. According to Englert, now at the National University of Singapore, the Bohm trajectories exist as mathematical objects but lack physical meaning. On a historical note, Einstein lived just long enough to hear about Bohm's revival of de Broglie's proposal, and he wasn't impressed. He dismissed it as too simple to be correct. But questions remain even for those who embrace the Bohmian view. Topping the list is an apparent tension with special relativity, which prohibits faster-than-light communication. Of course, as physicists have long noted, non-locality of the sort associated with quantum entanglement doesn't allow for faster-than-light signaling. But many physicists feel that more clarification is needed, especially given the prominent role of non-locality in the Bohmian view. The apparent dependence of what happens here on what may be happening there cries out for an explanation. The universe seems to like talking to itself faster than the speed of light. That's Steinberg again. I could understand a universe where nothing could go faster than light, but a universe where the internal workings operate faster than light and yet we're forbidden from ever making use of that at the macroscopic level, it's very hard to understand. That was a recap of Dan Falk's story, New Support for an Alternative Quantum View. You're listening to Quantum Magazine Science Podcast. I'm Karen Shakurji. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell us what you think. Leave a review in iTunes. For news, interviews, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org.